Hey, Cloudcast listeners. Before we get to today's show, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Datadog. Now, you know we've been talking about Datadog for a while now. It's the monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. But did you know that Datadog seamlessly integrates with your AWS environments? So you can start monitoring EC2, RDS, ECS, and all your other AWS services in minutes. You can visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. So if you want to figure out how Datadog can help your AWS environment, Try it yourself for free by starting a free 14-day trial today. If you go to datadog.com slash cloudcast, not only can you start your free 14-day trial, but you get a free Datadog t-shirt. So go out to datadog.com slash cloudcast, sign up for your free 14-day trial, start monitoring your AWS environment, and get your free t-shirt. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, it is still raining here in Raleigh. We are essentially Seattle without a... Uh, Amazon headquarters. So, you know, hope everybody's having a great 2019 so far. Hope everything's going well for you. You know, if you listened to last week, you know, we did a sort of a look ahead for the year about what's going on with DevOps. We want to continue that this week and really jump into another topic that I know is very important to a lot of you. We're going to look at kind of modern application development, cloud native application development. And we couldn't think of a better person to bring on this week to uh, help us kind of walk through what the year might look like and, and where we are than the host of really one of what we consider the best uh, application developer show that's out there. Um, he hosts a daily show. It's called Software Engineering Daily. And uh, we're going to have Jeff Meyerson with us today. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. You know, uh, I've been lucky enough to be on your show a couple of times. So it's, it's good to finally have you on the Cloudcast. Um, for those of folks that, that don't listen to your show, which uh, I, I highly recommend all of them do, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I know you're a software developer at heart, but tell us about your background, uh, what motivates you to do the show daily, and kind of, um, you know, what, what interests you in software development these days? I grew up programming music on the computer that was my first introduction into the world of programming and computer science and then in high school and college i i played poker professionally and that got me into what some people call entrepreneurship and then i shifted my focus to computer science when i was in college and uh, near the end of my tenure at the University of Texas, I started podcasting for Software Engineering Radio, which is the longest running software engineering podcast, I believe. And I I really liked it. So I kept doing that through my first several jobs as an engineer. And I kept doing Software Engineering Radio. It was five or six shows per year. And I just loved doing them. I always treasured the opportunity and the last engineering job I had full-time was at Amazon, and I left Amazon to start Software Engineering Daily, which is a daily software podcast. Basically, I took the format of Software Engineering Radio and duplicated it and then made it daily. And that's pretty much what brings us to today. Three and a half years later, I'm still doing Software Engineering Daily. Yeah. Now, I know you've said a number of times on the show you've 
uh, like you said, you've got sort of this entrepreneurial uh, background, sort of entrepreneurial streak in you, and you know the opportunity to to talk to the breadth of people that you talk to on a daily basis, um, you know, really kind of helps motivate you not only to understand the technology, but also you know in a lot of cases understand what they're doing in business and and hopefully uh, you know become something that down the road you may be able to translate into what becomes your next entrepreneurial venture or just the next thing that you're working on. Um, you know, like I said in the intro, we're we're really kind of focusing the first few shows this year on, uh, you know, helping people look ahead as to what's going on in, in certain domains and technology. Um, we really wanted to focus this week on, um, you know, what modern application developers are interested in. Would love to get your take on kind of where you think we are, um, you know, starting 2019 and, and really, you know, what you think some of the big trends are going to be um, as we jump into, you know, further in 2019. The cloud is a huge creative medium and we're starting to scratch the surface of it. The cloud has at at a fundamental level the potential for massive economies of scale. It has the potential to unlock economic opportunity for people all around the world. Uh, it gives us the ability to run jobs that can introspect every aspect of our lives through data and everything about our world is getting reshaped by cloud computing we see it in the analysis that we do on our respective podcasts how it's not possible for us to cover the degree to which the the cloud is is reshaping everything the the pace of change just increases every year and it's like a fractal and as you try to explore the different parts of that fractal as fast as you can, every time you do a show or you look at a subject, the frontier just seems to be more expansive. You try to look at it under a microscope, and then it feels like you're looking at it in a telescope. Right. Because there's just more and more every day. And that's exciting. As a journalist or whatever we are, you know, you just have this unlimited frontier of exploration, and it's really fun to examine. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, and that sort of is the basis of what drives Aaron and I to keep doing the show every year. Is there's there's more to learn, and and um, you know, there's there's always sort of people figuring out new ways to to solve problems. Um, sometimes they're simpler, sometimes they're more complicated. Um, so I want to talk to you kind of about developers. Um, you know, what are you what are you finding so you get a chance to talk to developers that are digging into different languages, machine learning, uh, at times you dig into, you know, infrastructure level things like a Kubernetes or containers. Um, what are you finding just trend-wise? What what are the things right now that that developers tend to love? You know, things they they talk about all the time they love them and then maybe what are a couple of things that you hear them just are really frustrated about whether it's they don't think it works or uh, you know you know we're still a couple of years away from the promise of something like that there are loose principles there are some best practices but every Every dogma is getting constantly reshaped, and we shouldn't be dogmatic about things because, it, like I said, the fractal is just expanding, and, and nobody's really sure of what the best thing to do is in, in most cases. There are many side projects and startups that 
should probably build on Firebase or on Zite or on Netlify or Heroku or on one of these other uh, high leverage cloud providers because that's going to allow developers to move much faster. But we don't hear people talking about these higher level cloud providers as much as we hear about AWS or GCP or Azure because the potential for contracts on these platforms is much bigger. And so they end up gathering more mindshare basically because the AWSs of the world are going after these giant enterprise clients that actually do need AWS. But you have this uh, this unfortunate downside of also convincing really early stage companies and, and people that are just hacking on projects that they need to understand AWS or they need to understand GCP or Azure and I love those cloud providers. I think they're great, but I think it's not a one-size-fits-all, and people should really look at these higher-level uh, cloud providers. What you and I do, I think you are interested in the business layer uh, to the to a, a certain um, parallel extent that I am. And at KubeCon, KubeCon's really interesting because at KubeCon, you always see this divergence among all the different vendors. I love walking around in the expo hall. Most people go for, I think, the talks or the hallway track. I kind of like the expo hall track where I walk around, I talk to the vendors, and all the vendors lay out this vision of the world that serves their own interests. You talk to Elasticsearch, they say one thing, or sorry, Elastic, I should say. You talk to Elastic, they say one thing. You go talk to MongoDB, they say another thing. You go talk to to Red Hat, um, they say one thing. And they all lay out a vision of the world that serves their own interests. And it's not, it's not wrong, but you get these divergent visions of the world. And that can be very confusing for many enterprises who are shopping around to these different vendors. And so there is a lot of confusion because people are looking for what's the design pattern, what's the best practice. And it's, it's quite hard to find what that should be. And where I do see some commonality and consistency between different companies is when I look backwards. And so we've done some shows with startups that are just now reaching maturity, companies like Uber or Thumbtack or Airbnb or Netflix. And you can look at those companies and you can see some strong similarities between the ones that got started at the same time. So for example, um, I think Uber and Airbnb got started at pretty similar times. And in many ways they have similar problems they have similar design preferences in how they've chosen cloud technologies. They have similar strategies for how they're updating their infrastructure today. Um, but, you know, there's there's only so much uh, kind of archaeological strata um, that we have to examine when we're looking at, at, at kind of cloud computing. And what Uber and, and Airbnb did is not necessarily what nationwide insurance should do today. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a couple of really, really important points there. I, I think the first one is, like you said, it'll be interesting to watch um, some of these high-level companies, and, and some people would sort of classify them as sort of, uh, I don't know, they're, they're essentially SaaS offerings, but they're also serverless to a certain extent. So you mentioned things like Netlify and um, you know even Heroku, which has kind of famously been a PaaS, is really just you know, let software developers do what they want and get all the infrastructure out of the way. Do we do we see those companies continue to remain kind of as, you know, loosely independent companies, right? They're, they offer a specific service or a set of services. Do we see those types of things get 
integrated into one of the bigger cloud providers. You know, we, we see like, uh, you know, GitLab and, and GitHub and others starting to offer sort of these pseudo serverless kind of things. Um, so I, I think that's a, a big trend that people will kind of want to keep an eye on. Cause like you said, um, you know, from a developer's perspective, the more and more you can, you can hide a lot of that underlying plumbing infrastructure complexity, the better for them. Um, and then I, I think the other really important thing that you said, which is the reason this stuff is so hard to sometimes source out and, and figure out like, well, what's, wh- what is everybody doing? What's the best thing is, like you said, what, what Uber's trying to do and what, you know, a nationwide insurance or, or anybody in between is trying to do are going to be really different. It depends on what your business model is. It depends on, how much legacy you have to integrate with is that legacy advantageous to you or do you want to leave it behind and so i i think you pointing that out kind of essentially is the the core of the fact it's why sometimes it is complicated for folks to figure out what should we be doing because there are so many variables involved um you know a while ago and i think this is going to sort of go along the same lines but but just in terms of people that are are asking about, you know, well, which technologies are doing well and which communities are doing well at, you know, back in the day, people would say, well, we use a lamp stack or we use, um, you know, one of the major uh, enterprise service buses. Um, you know, we've seen the stacks sort of shift. Um, we've seen things like mean stacks and and other stacks. Do you, do you get a sense from talking to so some of the more modern developers, more modern companies that that they're adopting stacks in the same way? Or are we seeing microservices allow people to say, don't, don't worry about stacks anymore. Um, just, you know, be great at writing whatever services you do and whatever languages you do. And, and it's okay for things to be more loosely coupled. Are you, are you seeing trends one way or the other? The companies that are moving the fastest and moving the most effectively are the ones who are adopting quote unquote serverless tools as aggressively as possible. They're adopting the API economy as aggressively as possible, because those are where the highest leverage, the highest margin, I believe, is going to be found. This is how you're going to get leverage as a developer. You're going to use AWS Lambda, you're going to use Stripe, you're going to use Twilio, you're going to use Firebase. If we're talking about infrastructure instances, you're going to use Azure Container Instances or uh, AWS Fargate. You're going to use Google BigQuery for your data science, and you're going to stitch everything together in a backend that is very easy to understand so that you can focus on business logic. You can be no ops. You don't need the developer who understands your entire stack. You just need developers who understand AWS or who understand Google, and so you have less uh, bus bus risk. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, how, how many of your developers can get hit by a bus and, and you could still survive. As far as the quote unquote stack, um, it's, you know, it's it's really, it, it, I think it matters less today. It doesn't matter if you're, because the clouds have really kept up with each other to to a certain extent. Um, and, and you can have AWS Fargate or you can have um, Google App Engine or, um, or AW or uh, Azure Container Instances, and does it really make much of a difference? I'm not sure. Um, so you know, that's that's kind of what I'm seeing on the on the stack level. I mean, there are people obviously with legacy infrastructure, um, and but the, I mean, their stacks have already kind of been chosen. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. Do you see? You know, the the one challenge of of those things is 
they make they make development significantly simpler or you know like you said they they remove a bunch of of other things that developers don't have to think about the the challenge of those is you could you could list out you know take that long list and sort of say okay that's that's kind of best of a breast of breed it's sort of the 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 top of what's out there um the challenge of that is they don't all live sort of in the same cloud they don't all live in any consistent place you you now move some of your challenge to um, you know, having somebody who can figure out how do I how do I network, reduce latency, you know, deal with all the security stuff of going between all those clouds. Have you seen people sort of take on that challenge, or is that still, um, you know, kind of that's where we'd like to get to? Um, but you know, some of the the network plumbing stuff, uh, security stuff in between is still sort of challenging. Are, are, where do you see us on that spectrum in terms of reality versus would like to have happen? I'm not an expert on that, but to what extent I have seen companies cover it, it's it's not been an issue. Um, I mean, I, I think that security across clouds, maybe it's not as turnkey as if you're only in a single cloud, but it's certainly a solvable problem. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. You... Um, you know, as I, as I dig back through some of the shows you did last year, um, there was... There was quite a bit of focus um, around machine learning and and not just, uh, you know, let's dig into TensorFlow or dig into, uh, you know, kind of the, the bare technology. You, you seem to spend a lot of time really kind of looking at how machine learning is affecting different companies' ability to, to go to market, to deliver products, to do recommendations, whatever they're doing. Um, you know, what are you seeing kind of trend-wise in terms of, you know, maturity of machine learning? Um, is it getting to a point where uh, a broad number of companies can use it? Is it is it kind of becoming invisible in terms of, you know, impacting the actual applications that people interact with? What's kind of what's your take on on where machine learning is, um, you know, both from a technologist perspective and a, and a business usage perspective? Machine learning tooling is at a similar place to where Kubernetes is in its maturity because developers are focusing on learning TensorFlow or they're reading the deep learning textbook. These skills and technologies that they're learning are definitely useful, but it's kind of like learning how Zookeeper works 10 years ago. So people learned how Zookeeper worked so that they could operate a Hadoop cluster and Today, we don't need to learn Zookeeper. We just use Amazon Kinesis or Redshift, and everything is consistent, and we don't really care about how that works. And that's where things are going to go for most people who want to use, quote-unquote, machine learning or who want to use, quote-unquote, Kubernetes cloud infrastructure. I think what is more exciting about Kubernetes for the average developer is not how can I use Kubernetes to manage my infrastructure? It's what is Kubernetes going to allow the cloud providers and the infrastructure startups to build that I can leverage as an application developer? Um, And so where that fits in with with machine learning is that uh, I think what's underestimated today is that Machine learning for application developers is is really good if you just look at the APIs. So we have the vision recognition API from whatever cloud provider you want. You have topic modeling APIs. You have video analysis APIs. You have mapping APIs. The list goes on and on for these models that have already been trained for you. 
and you can just look through these these catalogs like um, Rapid API has a great catalog of different APIs. Many of them are machine learning APIs that people have built. You can go to Algorithmia and look through these pre-trained APIs that people have built, and you don't need to know about how to train things, how to adjust your hyperparameters. It's just already taken care of for you as an API. Now, that is some black boxiness that some people are uncomfortable with, but I don't really know how transistors work. So that's there's you know you're always making trade-offs over what you you black box. Um you know, I, I'm really excited about stitching together these different machine learning APIs with things like Twilio, with things like Stripe. And I'm not so excited about learning matrix algebra or reading textbooks. So if you don't like reading documentation, if you don't want to learn how TensorFlow works, if you don't want to choose between Keras and Torch and cafe you could just browse apis and stitch them together and do interesting things yeah no, that, that, it's interesting especially from the context of like you said um we're seeing a lot of you're seeing a lot of people that are that are trying to understand how some of these deeper technologies work so you know you, you talked about kubernetes you, you mentioned tensorflow um but it's it's interesting the way you you frame it in that you think these folks are trying to understand how the 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 systems work, what the systems are capable of delivering, but they really kind of have no inherent interest uh, in ever having to run those systems. They just want to know, like, how are they going to work assuming somebody else runs them, i.e. You, you consume them as a service from somewhere. It could be a machine learning service. It could be a Kubernetes service. Um, but but you've got to know enough about them um, to to kind of understand, okay, what, what am I going to be able to do? What knobs am I going to be able to tweak? Obviously through APIs. Um, and I say that it's interesting in perspective of like, we've seen such a growth, for example, in KubeCon. Um, but it, it's interesting to figure out, are those people there because they want to run Kubernetes or are they there because they want to know how it works? Because as developers, they want to know what things they'll be able to take advantage of or things that run on top of them. And I'm not even sure that the developers, many of them, know which of those they want to do. And that's okay. Yeah. I I think it's great to go and explore in a sort of random walk or A-star fashion and just figure out over time which area of the stack you're interested in. If you make a bet on learning lower-level infrastructure of Kubernetes, you're going to be served just fine in your career. There's plenty of startup opportunities for you to build. There's plenty of big companies for you to go and work at to do Kubernetes plumbing, and that is fantastic. If you want to just learn about the pace of things and what APIs are going to be built on top of it, I think that's also fantastic. Uh, I think there is something to be gained from being a little bit more deliberate about which area of the stack you're interested in. But if if you're if you're totally unsure, then a random walk slash A star is also fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, you know, pe- people people have this this belief sometimes, um, especially when they talk to folks like us that run podcasts and they think, oh, well, you know, you just sort of have a schedule of all the things that'll be on the show and you know what you want to talk about. And, you know, I think the reality is, you know, sometimes we do and, and sometimes, you know, we, we find the best guests that are available at the time. Um, if you were to lay out sort of what, what you some of the things that you're hopeful to talk about this year, um, you know, technologies or trends, um, maybe not necessarily in a timeline manner, but w- what are some of those things that, that as you're looking out, um, you know, for the next, you know, 60, 90, 120 days that you're like, those are some of the the things that I really want to dig into. And, and I want to go find some people that that understand this stuff really well. 
since we have been on the topic of KubeCon and you and I have chatted a bit at various KubeCons, I think one trend I've seen there is that enterprises are really opening up their wallets. They're paying for cloud services. So you see Nationwide and Capital One and other banks opening up their wallets and saying, okay, we want the cloud. We want to have various undifferentiated heavy lifting services that we can use on demand. And that's fantastic for Silicon Valley. It's fantastic for for North Carolina, uh, at where, you know, Red Hat, where you're based. Um, and because there's so many companies with domain expertise, there's plastic manufacturers and oil drilling companies and banks, and a lot of them are paying for their, um, their resistance to the cloud in the form of going much more slowly than startups. And so you see these startups that are moving to the cloud or they're cloud native, like Monzo Bank or Lemonade Insurance, and the the legacy, the quote unquote legacy companies, the uh, mainstays, they need to start moving faster. And one way to move faster is to start paying for undifferentiated heavy lifting with dollars instead of engineering hours. And so we're seeing the pendulum swing towards these companies, the insurance companies, and the plastic manufacturers look at the cloud as a generator of upside potential rather than downside protection. And once this trend continues into government and hospitals and healthcare, things are just going to get really exciting because there's so much budget waiting to be unlocked for quote-unquote cloud computing. It's like electricity or plumbing or these things that if you're a hospital why are you doing your own plumbing? It doesn't make any sense. You should be hiring contractors or maybe hiring a full-time plumber, uh, but you know this is not your expertise. Uh, so, so that sort of budget unlocking and how the the, uh, the the large enterprises are adjusting to the cloud and how they're adjusting their procurement strategies, I think is very exciting and has a lot of um, downstream uh, ramifications as far as funding and so on. Uh, completely orthogonal to that, there's cryptocurrency infrastructure, which I find very interesting. Cryptocurrency is starting to prove itself with some very useful primitives, like the Lightning Network, which is now activated. And I'm not sure how wide widespread the use is, but from what I've seen, it's it's growing. The net the Lightning Network is quite quite large. Uh, there you have non fungible tokens, which are um, which provide the abstraction of digital uniqueness, and that's that's a big deal. Uh, we haven't quite seen how that's going to be used yet, but as just like cryptocurrency provided the fundamental layer of trust, and we didn't quite know how it was going to be used, we are we're going to see more and more uses for non fungible tokens. It'll start in games, and we'll see expansion beyond there. There's other trends that are interesting. Um, indie hackers, I think, is an underappreciated trend. There are more and more developers that are working at big companies, and they're realizing that there are alternative paths. They can leave the big company. They can start a quote-unquote small business that can snowball very quickly. They can become a podcaster. They can become a consultant. Uh, being an indie hacker is is a good is a very good life. Whether if it, it can be a digital nomad ship, but more and more people are realizing that the big companies with all the gravity are not necessarily all they're cracked up to be. Um, 
boot camps are spitting out tons of developers. Boot camps are producing really good developers. They're the developers out of boot camps are getting very good, very fast. They don't need academic computer science skills. They're cross-functional. Perhaps they come from an English background or a chemistry background, and then they pick up computer science, and they have this cross-functional, uh, cross-disciplinary, lateral thinking skill. And boot camp developers are a whole new type of developer that are uh, continually underutilized by the software engineering market. So many of them are going straight to the indie hackers route um, very wisely. Um, you also see software emerging with pop culture. You see basketball players getting into venture capital. You see venture capitalists moving to Hollywood. You see Hollywood stars creating startups. You see this permeation of software throughout the world. And that is having all kinds of other ramifications that uh, will hopefully make the world of quote-unquote software engineering daily uh, much more diverse. Yeah, no, I, that's excellent. I was going to ask you, um, you know, as you're talking to people, what what you're finding in terms of kind of learning paths. But I think you're, I think you hit on a lot of them. It's not only learning paths, whether they're coming out of boot camps or they're doing it as indie hackers, or, um, but it's you know, there, there are just more and more opportunities for people um, that don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, directly at software companies because you know so many companies are becoming software companies one way or the other, or they need the help of of software engineers. So that was, uh, it, it was good. I think, um, you know, it's, it's always good to sort of understand not only how people that are already software developers are learning, but then also if, if people look at this as a broader trend, they think, Hey, you know, that that's maybe where I need to be. And, and that's a thing that'll be around for a long time. How do I get started? I think you really highlighted, um, you know, some, some very big areas that are in there and we'll get some of those things into the show notes as well. Well, listen, Jeff, I want to be conscious of your time. Cause I know, uh, you're, you're a very, very busy man. Where are some of the places that, um, people can not only listen to you on a regular basis and maybe, you know, good ways to reach out and, and talk to you and, uh, pick your brain and, and potentially be guests on the show. Sure. You can always find me on Twitter. Uh, you can reach either at software underscore daily or at the underscore prion. That's my personal account. You can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. You can find me on Spotify or Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Busy man, busy, busy man. So like we mentioned, Jeff's doing this every single day. Um, great guests, lots of really, really interesting topics. So uh, if you want to dive in depth, we highly, highly recommend Software Engineering Daily, um, something that I know both Aaron and I listen to on a pretty regular basis. Uh, some of the topics get way out over our heads, but that's always a good thing if uh, if you're interested in learning. So Jeff, <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for being on today. It was great to finally have you on. Um, folks, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for telling a friend and giving us reviews and things like iTunes and other places. Uh, we hope everybody's doing well. Uh, as always, thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos and everything social media. 